Psalm 261 was the one that Brother Jonathan just announced that we'll use at the close of the lesson this morning, 261. And so as we come to this part of our lesson today, the opportunity to give thought to, give reflection upon some portion of the Word of God, and to do so with the intent of making application to our life so that we, perhaps in the days that are ahead, will be stronger and more capable and able servants of the God of heaven. And today, the lesson that we shall give some consideration to is this one. Danger, soul in the hands of a foolish person. And so over the next few moments, I would invite your attention with me as we reflect upon this. And as we do so, we'll begin the lesson with a bit of a circumstance that happened in our family that, in fact, prompted some of the thinking and reflection that led to this lesson. Here's the setting, in fact, that, that prompted these particular ideas. Exactly two weeks ago today, this was the Sunday, the 26th of December, directly after Christmas, Brooklyn's ball team that morning boarded a bus headed for Florida. They were to participate in a Christmas tournament during the course of that week. And that morning before they left, in fact, very early in the morning, we had opportunity to participate with them in a worship service in which they would not be able to stop during the course of that trip, of course, that day. It lasted somewhat 15 to 16 hours or more in terms of bus travel. And that morning, a brief lesson I delivered. I was asked by the coach to do that for not only the players and the parents, but any who would like to attend that particular morning. And some of the thoughts from that lesson, in fact, in an expanded version, will be the basis for the lesson this morning. That particular lesson was one designed to prompt and to convict some of those present about the nature and order of the life in which they were involved, or at least to give thought about what life is all about. And some of those thoughts, again, in an expanded form, I thought might be very useful and beneficial for each of us as well. It is with that in mind that we come again to the title, A Danger Symbol. We often are aware that when we see danger signs beside the roadway or perhaps on a particular piece of electrical equipment or perhaps a danger sign that's positioned perhaps in a hallway reminding one that it's just been mopped, we understand that there's a potential hazard ahead, a dangerous position, something that one should not only make note of but in fact avail oneself to avoid it or to at least be exceedingly cautious. It is with that in mind that let's again set the stage for what the basis of that lesson was that morning two weeks ago. The basic idea was this one. That group, Brooklyn and her teammates, as well as the parents who were able to go, as well as others who were in fact availing themselves of the opportunity of that trip, they boarded that bus expectant for a safe journey to Florida, excited about the possibility of that joyous occasion, not only the participation, of course, but in a warmer climate, a fun-filled place, near the beach, if you please. All of that was something to which they were looking forward. And yet, as we made note that morning, that bus was a means. It was simply a channel to get them to that place they desired to be. But not only that, might we take note that that bus was driven by an individual that was trained, experienced, and certified. This individual was not only aware of the way in which the bus worked, but he or she, as the case may be, was also aware of the destination, 
how to get that bus to that place and to do so in a very careful and in a very safe way. In fact, one placed a great deal of trust and confidence in the driver of that bus. After all, none of the rest of the others were in a position to be certified to drive it. None of the rest of them had been trained and experienced, but the driver was. And so it was that despite the fact that the roads were a bit slippery that morning, that bus made it safely to its destination, and for that all were no doubt very thankful. It might be noted even beyond all of that. What though could be the case if the driver did not have those characteristics? How would you and I describe that circumstance if one boarded a bus driven by one who was not experienced, one who was not trained, one who was not knowledgeable and aware of the manner in which the bus operated and the correct way to arrive at the destination? Would it not be fair to say that it would be a dangerous, dangerous thing? Not only would the person likely not arrive safely, one may not arrive at all. That bus could be involved in a very tragic accident. The, the bus, in fact, not only could lead to injury to the driver and those aboard, it could lead to injury of other people, perhaps even many deaths. We can see a monumental difference, can't we, between a trustworthy driver, one trained and very knowledgeable, versus one who is inexperienced, and one not prepared to directly guide that bus. It is that thought that takes us to the bottom of that slide. It is with those thoughts in mind, that distinction, I would invite us to make some applications, thoughts that in fact touch all of our lives even to today. The thoughts, in fact, might be approached in the following way. In the same way that those players and coaches and others we're proceeding on a journey that morning. You and I, too, are on a journey. Indeed, we're on a journey, and I don't mean just to Florida or even to some other place upon earth. We are on a journey. Isn't it easy to see that there must be more than what this life has to offer? We often see such disappointment, such hurt, such absolute evil. When an individual, as we seemingly see often, walks into a male facility and begins to kill those present, or another one walks into a school and kills students and teachers and administrators alike, and how often we notice in this world filled with such evil and iniquity, there must be a better place than this. And every one of us are on a journey somewhere. We certainly want it to be better than this one. How often does the Bible tell us about the reality of this journey? In essence, that period of time from the cradle to the grave is a preparation for somewhere else. And in language like this, we can easily see the difficulty surrounding our sojourn here upon this earth. The sin that surrounds us, the difficulty that's here testifies over and over again. There is a place without any of that. We lie down in our shame. And our confusion covereth us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God. We and our fathers from our youth even to this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. That statement of Jeremiah 3.25 tells us about the terribleness, the sickness, if you please, surrounding the sin of this world. But notice in the very next passage, we notice what that sin brings. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. 
Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. These things then that are around us, this sin, it will lead inevitably to death. Surely we long for a place better than this one. We yearn for a far better country than this. Is it any wonder in Hebrews 11 that Abraham and others looked for a place whose builder and maker was God because they knew that this was just a temporary sojourn. It was a place that was only to be inhabited for a little while. You see, you and I too are on a journey. And how often did our Savior reflect upon the reality of that journey? Beginning in the 14th chapter of John, the opening verse, Jesus, on the very night prior to His awful crucifixion, He had these words to say, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am there you may be also. And just as surely as the Lord made that statement directly to those apostles, it reverberates in your hearing and mine to this day. Where I am, He said, there you may be also. Is it any wonder that, again, heaven is such a lovely consideration, such a precious place, and we so desperately wish to be there, surely. You'll notice in Revelation 21.4, say it to the last chapter in the Bible, there John, that noble apostle, in one of the last chapters he ever wrote, he said, speaking about the nature of heaven, he spoke about this place, in fact, where there be no tears in their eyes. You see, God's going to wipe away all those tears. And furthermore, this is a place where there's no death, neither sorrow, neither pain, for all those things are old and they will have been passed. Isn't it a lovely thought, though, to consider that God shall wipe away all their tears? There's a song in our songbook that, in fact, bases its whole message upon that very sentiment. God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Don't you want to be in a place like that? It certainly isn't here. You and I, you see, are on a journey, and we want to go to that place, that lovely place called heaven where God's throne is, Psalm 11, verse 4. This place in which the Lord already has made the journey to that location because now the time comes. Having stated that you and I are on a journey, let's revisit what we noted earlier. Those players and coaches and parents and others aboard that bus, they trusted the driver. They trusted the one leading them, the one who is experienced, knowledgeable, and ready to take them to the destination. Who might we ask is the one leading us? Who's the driver of the bus on which you and I are riding to our destination? It's already easy to see. We surely need someone knowledgeable, someone experienced, someone trained and ready, someone very capable and able to safely and correctly and diligently lead us to that desired destination of heaven. You'll notice near the bottom, the Bible makes, leaves no uncertainty that that one is Jesus the Christ. He is our forerunner who has blazoned the trail to heaven in the words of Hebrews 6, verses 18 to 20. He is our forerunner. That means one who has run before. He's already there. You and I want to be where He now is. 
He is our forerunner that has already made His way toward heaven. On that glorious occasion after His resurrection, we notice not many days later in Acts chapter 1, He ascended back to the Father in heaven, verses 9 through 11 of that chapter. And isn't it amazing that in fact the statement was made on that occasion. Those two heavenly visitors that were there in prison said, Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus whom you've seen go into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go into heaven. Notice, He was in heaven, but He's coming back to take His own, and they too will be able to enjoy the beautiful bliss of that golden place forevermore. It's often been called the celestial city, for it is a very sublime and special place, isn't it? You'll note near the bottom, this Jesus so often describes Himself as the one who is the right driver to lead you and me to this place. In John the 10th chapter, two ways in which the Lord described Himself that are very telling indeed. First of all, in verse 9 of that chapter, Jesus said, I am the door. An interesting turn of words, isn't it? The Lord was describing a sheepfold, and sheep would go in and out. And He very clearly said that I am the door, the one through which safe passage is able to, in fact, be made into the fold, into the safety, in fact, of what's available there. He said He was the door. In John 14, 6, He would also say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. What then is the way, W-A-Y, that leads to heaven? It is the Savior. Notice two verses later in that John chapter 10, verse 11, the Lord made another statement. He said, I am the good shepherd. We understand that a shepherd is one who tends over that flock that is at his care. He leads them to pasture. He leads them to water. He protects them from the wolves and the other things that are out for their harm. He provides the safety and security. Question, who then is that knowledgeable and rightful driver able to lead you and me to those golden shores of eternal glory? Is it not Jesus, the Son of God? Is He not our door that leads into the glory of the church and into the reality of everlasting life in heaven? Is He not the shepherd that's able to safeguard your precious soul and mine to that precious and lovely place called heaven? You see, there are many parallels between the trip that they were making two weeks ago and the journey that you and I are making through life. Perhaps one final thing to notice is some of the characteristics of Jesus. We concluded earlier that surely any of us that were going to board a bus would demand that driver to be knowledgeable, experienced, certified, and trained. What about the Savior? Is He knowledgeable? Is He one, in fact, into which we can put the safeness of our expectations and understand that He will be a safe repository for it? Look at some of these descriptions of the Son of God. In Hebrews 2, verse 18, closing verse to that chapter, we read on that occasion that He was, was tempted, and as such He suffered. And because of that, He can succor those who come to Him. That word succor, S-U-C-C-O-R, means to help, to aid. The Lord was tempted, you see, in every way similar to the ways in which you and I are tempted, and yet He emerged victorious. He emerged triumphant over the temptation, and never once did He succumb to sin. 
For in fact, two chapters later in Hebrews 4.15, we have not an high priest that cannot touch with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Knowledgeable? Absolutely. Not only knowledgeable. What might one say about some of the other characteristics, such as the capability of his leadership and his knowledge of the destination? We noted earlier that he is our forerunner that leads to heaven. In Revelation 14, 4, follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. That Lamb has already made his way to heaven. And he is thus able to guide every one of us to that same place, that same location, and to do so with the absolute security and safety that is able to be vested in him. It is to say all of that that perhaps begs some of the following ideas as well. That safety in transit, mentioned there near the bottom of that slide, perhaps reminds us of that invitation that the Lord extended to all. Did He not say in Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. All of those that would ride one of those buses would look forward to a comfortable journey, a safe journey. You and I in this life can appreciate that God promises a lovely invitation and He extends a very powerful reality that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That in fact brings us to some of the following notes about what the Savior does go ahead and say. Jesus, you see, knows exactly about the nature of this journey. Now, let's make sure to note one thing. With regard to that transit on that bus, all of those aboard were trusting in the one driving as the one leading, in fact, the bus. The passengers didn't drive the bus. They, in fact, would not work on the bus. It was not their job, and they were not the ones involved in that work. There is one difference in that when it comes to your life and mine. Jesus may be the one guiding, but that, mean, that does not mean that you and I have nothing to do. We must, in fact, obey His commandments and do that which the driver has given for us to do because only in that way will we, in fact, make it in that safe way to heaven. Look at some of these passages, if you would. The knowledge of Jesus and His regard and care for us. One would often hope, of course, that that driver would be concerned about his passengers and he would want them to be saved. Does the Lord care about those like you and me? In Matthew 10, beginning in verse 28, on that occasion we even read, He knows the very hairs of your head and mine, and they're numbered. And in that context it means that's how much He cares about us. And that's how much... He was, in fact, willing to give the own nature of His life for you and for me. It is to be noted even beyond that in 2 Peter 2.9 that on that occasion Peter wrote, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. What does He know? He knows how to deliver you and me out of temptation. He knows about those matters that plague your life and mine. He knows about the issues that can so trouble us. And as the driver and one whom we can follow, He will help us avoid those pitfalls, 
those matters that occur in the roadway. But you'll notice in all these things, we must put our trust in that driver. And we must do what he tells us to do. Because isn't that what Paul did? Use Paul with me for just a moment as an example. Who was the driver of his life? At least from the days on the road to Damascus onward. And who, in fact, is the one in whom he had placed his confidence and trust? We read in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul, what is that? I have put my confidence and my trust in the hands of one who is able to take care of it. Paul thus knew very well that during his sojourn in the matter of his life, the driver was not himself. The driver was Jesus. And he had placed his confidence in the hands of the Master, and he knew well that the Master would safeguard his journey and bring him to that location. We notice three chapters later in 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 6, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them also that love His appearing. Paul, you see, knew he was about to the end of that journey. He was almost at the destination. The days passed, all the perils and difficulties of life paled in comparison to the destination shortly before him. Paul's destination and journey had been safely guarded and guided by the one in whose hands he had placed his trust. All of that does challenge us to think back to that other matter we'd raised earlier. We have painted such a glorious picture to this point about that life guided by the driver whose name is Jesus. When you and I allow Him to dictate our life, to direct it and guide it, we follow His commandments and do what He says, we will in fact sojourn our way through this life to lead to that beautiful destination. But do you remember near the outset of the lesson, we at least questioned, what would happen if one boarded a bus, directed and driven and guided by one not knowledgeable, not trained, inexperienced, and not able to lead to the destination. We all agree that that would in fact be unwise. We agree that it would be dangerous because that person not knowing how to drive that bus, not knowing how to take it to its destination, they not only could harm and injure all the passengers aboard, they could kill them. Might I ask you for the last part of our lesson this morning to ponder this with me. What if you and I, on this sojourn we call life, are making way with a driver who is not Jesus, making way with one who is not knowledgeable, one who is not knowing of the destination, who is inexperienced, again, who is not the Son of God. What might be some of the things that will happen? And how does the Bible describe such a thing? Let's begin in the following way. First of all, there are a number of sobering truths. Perhaps we might begin in Jeremiah 10, 23. O oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And yet multiplied millions upon our earth today happily sit in their homes and other places doing any number of other things besides something religious, thinking that they themselves can make their own way toward the golden strand of glory. And friend, they cannot now nor will they ever. 
remaining with a driver like who they've chosen. You see, if we try to drive the bus ourselves, you can well imagine the kind of catastrophe that can happen. That morning, for instance, if I had climbed aboard that bus and told the coach that I was going to drive it, every one of them should have quickly as possible climbed off that bus because I am not knowledgeable how to drive a bus that large. I would have perhaps killed every one of them aboard, including myself. The point is, it is no wiser to try to make it through this life thinking we can control it ourselves. We can't. And we are very unwise to try. That sobering truth takes us, in fact, to another point. That driver who is inexperienced and that driver who is untrained, you see that individual doing the same thing in this life really is in a position of not knowing where they've been. They don't know where they are and they don't really understand where they're going. Who would want to be aboard a bus like that? None of us, surely. And yet, to try to make our way through life, we're in exactly the same situation. You see, if we think we can lead ourselves to heaven, or if some other man or woman can lead us there, we are in that same position because that person is not infinite. That person is not the all-powerful God of heaven. That individual is not the great and almighty one. Might it thus be noted in light of all of that, some of the other dangers that come from using some driver other than Jesus. These things also follow. We mentioned earlier that the Savior knows exactly how to direct your life and mind to that destination. He knows the character of what truths we should base our life upon. He knows exactly how we should conduct ourselves in all ways, be it the ways that we speak, the ways that we think, or the conduct that we specifically choose. It is in that regard, though, that that person without Jesus as the driver doesn't have that foundation. That person has no concrete, unmovable, and unshakable thing on which to build his or her life. Like that individual in Matthew 7, who built upon the sand. And when the rains came and the floods also, they beat upon the house and it crashed and it fell. Why? Because it had no foundation that was sufficient. It is no wonder then that with that proper driver, we will have a life that is based upon something unmovable, unshakable, because the driver provides that. He provides that basis upon which to conduct and to act and to think. And isn't it wonderful and lovely to look at some of the things then that we have the answers to? Our world is awash, literally awash, in a number of questions like, how do I dress correctly? If one has the right driver, that's not a problem. For you know to dress modestly. You know not to dress nakedly. For that was condemned in Genesis 2.25 and has ever been condemned since. If one has the right driver, we know how we ought to speak. We don't speak in an ugly way, in a corrupt fashion, Ephesians 4.29. We don't talk in a way that is of gossiping or tail-bearing or strife-bearing, tearing down others, for that's condemned. In those words of Ephesians 4, verse 29, you notice what a difference it makes to have the right driver. But notice furthermore, the world again parades the matter of alcoholic beverages and states this is the way for contentment and happiness. Satan's lying to you. And he's lying to everybody who is foolish enough to follow that advice. 
For you see, the Bible condemns that in Ephesians 5.18, and the right driver tells us that. Isn't it interesting to think about the smile on the face of that driver? When he looks up into the mirror and looks back at you and says, I'll take care of you. You follow my word, you leave aside these alcoholic beverages, you leave aside all this improper immodesty, and leave aside all these other matters. You just follow straightforwardly, directly, and with concern that which I have commanded, and I'll take you to heaven. That's such a comforting thing when one imagines it that way. Some of the questions, again, that the world is so surrounded by, the matter of sexual sin, so many times our youngsters in middle school and beyond raise questions and their textbooks tell them one thing. The teachers may tell them something else. The health professionals will parade a different answer, but yet those with the right driver know exactly what the answer is. It is that answer that in fact is in harmony with the will of God in all regards. Those matters of sexuality are reserved for marriage, scriptural marriage, and nowhere else. Isn't it comforting to know that answer? I don't have to search through the writings of man to hope to find it. The writings of man will never give God's answer. In light of all of those things, from things as direct as dishonesty, all the way to these matters we've listed, the right driver, you see, will provide us with the answers. Isn't it then a tragedy when individuals choose a different driver than Jesus? when they choose a different guide, a different operator, a different one to follow. And so it is near the bottom of that slide. You'll appreciate with me any number of passages and scriptures that challenge us about the matter of preparation. Think with me about one of the parables our Savior taught. Recorded in Matthew chapter 25. We are highlighted here so easily about the matter of preparation. The reason I introduce that here is the following point. You have a choice as to who your driver is. I understand that on that morning, the ball team didn't have a choice as to their driver. When they made the arrangements, he was provided with the bus. You and I have a choice, however. You and I each individually can choose, is Jesus the driver of your life? Are you going to be your own driver? Will you choose someone else? The choice is left to you and me, but notice this with me. If we choose the wrong driver and thus unpreparation results, what may well thus come to be our case? Jesus spoke about five wise virgins and five foolish ones. The time came for the marriage feast. You'll notice that all of them had brought some oil, but the foolish ones didn't bring enough to last long enough, and so their oil ran out. And when the announcement came, the bridegroom was coming, they all began to arise and attempt to trim the lamps, and the five wise ones still had oil remaining. And the foolish ones asked, Give us of your oil. They said, Not so, or we won't have enough. They went away to try to purchase the oil. And while they were gone, the bridegroom came. He went in, the five wise ones went in, and the celebration began, and the door was shut. There was no longer any admission. Despite the fact they came back and were ready and excited then, there was no longer any admission. You see, my friend, there's only one thoroughfare through this life. There's no second chances. We get it right the first time or we don't get it right at all. Who's your driver today? 
Who are you following? Are you following the Son of God, the experienced, the knowledgeable, the well-equipped driver who has promised to take you to heaven? Or are you following somebody else, be it yourself or otherwise? The question does come to you and me, and we'll use that to close the lesson today. And I've tried to phrase it in the following ways. You see, we have a perfect driver available. He has stated by way of invitation, he'll be happy to direct your life, but you have to let him. You and I have to be the ones to turn over control of the wheel and let him guide. If we try to guide ourselves, if we try to take control, we are only making a very foolish mistake. In Mark 8, verses 36 and 37, the lesson text that was read for us earlier, you remember that Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? One of the things that now we can use to close the lesson is this. That most precious possession that's headed toward heaven, if you and I are wise, is not this physical body. It's that eternal spirit, that soul. That soul's never going to die. That soul's always going to exist. And that soul is on a destination somewhere. It is either to heaven or to hell. Jesus is the driver leading to heaven. Any other driver is leading to hell. And so today, are you lumbering along through life with some driver other than Jesus? If so, you now know where you're headed. If you need to make a U-turn on that road and get a different driver, today's the day. Jesus will be happy to take control of the wheel and to lead you to the golden celestial city of heaven. If we could be of assistance in your initial response to the gospel today, the Lord has commanded that you must hear His word, believing to be the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess His name as the Son of God, and be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've done that, but you have not been faithful, You've come to the time you've chosen a different driver. Get back to the right track. If we could be of assistance by praying for your rededication today, we'd be honored to do that. If we could be of help, we would only ask that you let us know, if you would, while together we stand and while we sing.